Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 47 of All This and World War II. Today begins chapter 23, colon, The Big Battle. This is the last proper chapter of the adventure. It is the climax of the story, and it is fitting, then, that it captures the duality of this adventure. On the one hand, painfully straightforward and predetermined. Yet, on the other hand, it makes you say, what the fuck are you talking about? Let's start with the straightforward part. After the whole story so far... Returning to World War II to deny the Nazis super weapons stolen from the future, splitting up and teaming up with the invaders, coming back to American command in Italy and being ambushed by Red Skull, finding out that General Dozer was a mind slave of the Nazis, thanks to Hypnowash. If your boys are like mine, their brains take a beating on the battlefields of war-torn Europe. But when you've got 70 million rowdy boys, saying no to war isn't an option. That's why I use Hypnowash. I'm sorry, I was momentarily possessed by the spirit of unctuously snarky commercial moms. Hypnowash. Red Skull used it to brainwash the general, but you slipped the trap, presumably. Otherwise, you're dead now. You're excused from the podcast. Assuming you slipped the trap, now is the time when the Nazis, with or without their flying saucer superweapon, make their big push to attack the Allies. This is the big decisive battle of World War II that you were predestined, kind of, to intervene in. This isn't really like a tight time loop. It's more like a time roundabout. Like you're supposed to go around it and get off at a certain point, but shit's confusing. Mistakes can happen. In any case, whether you're living up to your destiny or not, your destiny is this moment, this battle, the big battle, as the author so eloquently dubs it. And just as it has been throughout their quest, in this fateful moment, our heroes will find that they are only grudgingly allowed to participate. Quote, play out the big battle using the special rules below. First, get outside B of the map sheet and cut out the troop counters located on the third panel of the cover. The gray counters represent Axis forces, and the green counters represent Allied forces. A soldier symbol on a counter means that the counter represents an infantry unit. A tank symbol on a counter means that the counter represents a tank unit. There are also counters for each of the invaders, blank counters to represent the player heroes, write the name of each hero on the counters before you begin, and counters for the Red Skull and the futuristic superweapon. The Red Skull can only participate in the battle if he escaped in Chapter 22. The superweapon will only participate in the battle if the heroes failed to destroy it in Chapter 21. No mention of what to do if our heroes stole the Flying Saucer, although that's fair enough, because if I just stole a Flying Saucer hours ago, if I am now the brand new owner of a Flying Saucer, I'm not taking that shit out in a heavy rain, let alone a pitched battle. Like, win, lose, or draw World War II. I'm keeping the fucking saucer. If Hitler takes over the Earth, I'm going to need to pick me up. No need to put my baby on the line, too. Quote, notice how most of the counters show a fighting rank, for example, F colon RM. This works just like the fighting attribute, as explained below. The counters for the invaders, the Red Skull, and the player heroes don't have a fighting rank, just a plus two column shift notation, see below. So you're beginning to see the shape of what's going to happen here. Basically, we're going to play the final chapter as kind of a little mini war game, where the players are going to control the allied forces, and the judge is going to play the Axis. 
the units that actually do the fighting are going to be normal, non-powered tanks and infantry. There are counters representing the superheroes and villains in the fight, but they don't actually have stats. They act as bonuses, albeit major bonuses, to the roles made by tanks or infantry. So everybody sets up their units, and then this little war game kind of works like normal combat. Then there's some nitty-gritty stuff here. Movement scores are assigned to infantry units, tank units, hero units, and the flying saucer, which is very fast. There's one little tweak to the rules to make it more wargamey. Uh, you first do all the movement across the field that you want to do with all your units, and a unit that enters the same space as an opposing unit has to stop. Then, once you've done all your movement, then you make all your fighting rolls. To resolve these battles, you make a fighting roll with the best unit you have in that space, with an intensity equal to the fighting rank of the best enemy unit in the space. And then every additional unit that's there gives you a plus one or a minus one column shift, depending on whether it's on your side or the other side. There's a one-column shift penalty for mountainous terrain. The hero and villain units just count as additional units. They have no fighting score of their own, so they can't be the basis of your fighting role. They just apply a column shift, which is like fair enough. A superhero is worth an infantry unit or maybe a tank. That's fine. Seems fair from the perspective of a war game. From the perspective of a superhero adventure game, especially in a climactic battle, I'd love to see superheroes doing something superheroic while there's a mass combat going on rather than scarlet witch going out on the battlefield like with my mastery of chaos magic and probability controlled my eldritch mutant might i'll negate the advantage that the enemies get for having 10 more rifle guys than we do i mean you can abstract it out to simple math but i do feel like that's kind of apples and oranges most jobs you might have to do on a battlefield would be distinctly better suited to either 10 trained soldiers with rifles or scarlet witch but anyway yeah i, I have only the partial story on how this works because the pdf that i'm working from doesn't actually have the tear out tokens with like the fighting ranks of the different units on them. And notably, page 47 says that the hero units have a plus two column shift notation, but on the next page where it gives the rules in text, it says that they're worth one column shift only. I don't know which is actually true on the tokens. So that makes a significant difference in how useful these hero units are. But anyway, even if I don't have all the details, I think I've laid out enough for you to see that this is like a good fun idea that maybe lacks a certain panache. It's fun and creative to have the big final conflict in this World War II adventure be a proper like war movie battle scene with mass combat and everything. On the other hand, the nature of superhero storytelling is such that having us play superhero, superhero, superhero all the way through the adventure and then reducing us to effectively the weakest units in a rudimentary war game in the climactic battle against evil is kind of unsatisfying. So I don't know. I'm of two minds about this. I really like this conceptually, but I feel like the execution isn't quite appropriate to the genre. One more factor to consider in whether this is a good idea or not, and this is minor spoilers for next page, but I think anyone could have guessed. The win conditions here seem even. Each side has to capture the other's command post, but if the allies' command post is taken, then they get a bunch of reinforcements, like half of their eliminated units come back on the field. The Axis don't get that advantage, and there are a bunch of extra hero units on the hero's side. So, to quote from page 48, with the reinforcements and the heroes fighting for the allies, it is almost impossible for the allies to lose the battle. When it is all over, go to the epilogue. So there's not at all a pretense that the outcome of this battle is in question. We've kind of run out of things that can have multiple outcomes. We're right at the end of the adventure, so you may have missed the saucer before. In this battle, you're taking it down. You may have lost some fights in the past and had to kind of skulk away. You're winning this fight. That's just the way it is. I mean, before this battle, we all huddled around our favorite book, World War II, Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane, and read about what is about to happen in the adventure, and what is about to happen is that we're winning this fight. 
which I'm sure is great for morale in character, but out of character, it may leave the players feeling like, why are we sitting here playing a battle where our characters barely contribute and the outcome is already a matter of historical record? Overall, though, I get what the author is going for, and I feel like I could put my own spin on it. A good GM could make this a really fun way to end the adventure. Conversely, turning now from the author to the artist, I have literally no idea what is going on in the illustration on page 47. It's really important that you see this illustration to see quite how impenetrable it is. So I'm actually going to uh, put this up on a free for everyone post on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash megadumbcast, just because it's a convenient place for me to post images. I've been deliberately neglecting Instagram. I got a new phone and it is not so far infected by any Facebook products. So I'm not keen to go back to the MDC Instagram account. I may start a visual companion that's free to view on Patreon instead. But anyway, for now, you can go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. I'll have a post where you can see this picture. Anyway, this image, it's a battle scene. I mean, that much is clear. And it is heroes fighting Nazis. I assume they're heroes. The only reason I know that is because they're fighting Nazis. And because they are wearing what are identifiable as superhero costumes, but not as any particular superhero. Except one or two of them. God, this is this is very strange. Big battle scene. Superheroes I don't recognize thrashing some Nazis in various ways, right? Shooting beams, throwing punches. These are heroes with distinctive designs that don't belong to any superhero I'm aware of, for the most part. One of them has quite a generic superhero outfit with a cape. A little bit of a cape hero going on here, but it's definitely not Vision. There's a guy with a cape and a hood flying and shooting a beam in the background. His costume, I know it wouldn't be him, but it looks more to me like Sleepwalker than anybody else. The two big muscly guys with giant hair on this page, I don't know what their deal is. They don't remind me of anyone, really. And then there's somebody uh, shooting an optic blast, kind of like Cyclops, and she's got a helmet shape kind of reminiscent of a helmet that we saw on one of the unidentified Nazi supervillains back on page seven. But this wouldn't be the same person because number one, that was a Nazi, and number two, that Nazi supervillain didn't have boobs. This one very distinctly does. As always with this art style, it's hard to tell exactly what's going on, but those are definitely boobs. This could be like a smooth metal robot that's just got kind of a feminine shape, except for the weird head and the Cyclops style visor. Or what it honestly looks like is a weird swoop back optic blast visor head on top of a bikini clad torso. Is this a robot? Is this a cyborg? Are those flesh boobs or robo boobs or just shading on a metal robot torso? I don't know. And no permutation of answers to those questions. Tell me why I am seeing this person on this page of this book. Now, you might think, well, these are like stand-ins for the player characters if the players are playing original heroes, right? But the player characters in this scenario are very explicitly wearing those bracelets that give them a distinctive and uniform look. On the illustration where we see Scarlet Witch trying out one of the bracelets, we see a little insignia appear on the chest of her holographic uniform. And we actually see that insignia earlier. That mystery character back on page two tearing up a Nazi flag, the one with the weird insignia on their chest and the strange mask or helmet. I now recognize that as the same insignia that we see coming from the bracelet. So I don't know why the Orfu thought it would be a good idea to masquerade in not only ostentatious uniform red and blue clothing, but also elaborate alien headgear. But for whatever reason, that is what the bracelets do. So all these characters should look like that if that's what's going on. I don't know who these people are. And it's not all just original characters. Captain America is here too, but he's not fighting. And I'm not sure he's like really present in the scene. He's facing the reader and he's just like floating in the air with his hands on his hips, just like standing in a hero pose like Superman. His scale and his position make it look like he's not literally here. So I don't know what's going on. Did Captain America die? Are they like remembering him and fighting Nazis in his honor? 
Because the only other explanation is he's literally standing there doing nothing, watching other people fight Nazis. Which, for all his faults, that's not who rookie Captain America is. It really does look like this is supposed to be a uh, symbolic Captain America, or a memory of Captain America, which is weird, because he's like across the way fighting other Nazis for real in this scenario. And then just to torpedo any rationalization for this scene that we might otherwise think of, down in the lower left-hand corner, we have what looks for all the world to be giant man, only not currently giant, punching out a Nazi. Once again, this is also sketchy and confused that it's hard to make everything out, but those antennae on the forehead, if you know giant man, like the classic giant man costume from the comics, you'll know what I'm talking about. The two antennae on the forehead that come right out from like between the eyes and form a V, that's a very distinctive costume element. Giant Man was an early superhero in the Marvel Universe. The conventions had not been fully established yet. And as it turned out, not a lot of heroes opted for that look. The uh, V-shaped pointy antennae growing out of the forehead of my cloth mask. The only problem here is that we can see the currently ungiant Giant Man punching out this Nazi. And on his arm, we can see that instead of the zigzag glove design, of Giant Man's outfit. There's a gauntlet on the wrist here. I'm not aware of any of Giant Man's costumes having both the antennae and a gauntlet. However, everybody in this picture, except for Captain America, is wearing similar gauntlets. So then I thought, well, maybe these are the disguises. Maybe these are the West Coast Avengers, and they're all wearing those gauntlets, and they're disguising them all in different fanciful red and blue outfits, and one of them just happens to bear a strong resemblance to Giant Man's costume. I'm not suggesting that the Orfu knew about Giant Man. I'm just saying that in a in a process of parallel evolution, Hank Pym's fashion sense, like the Orfu's, has arrived... It, it looks like the outfit of someone who is only pretending to understand human social conventions. Hank Pym thought those antennae looked great, because he has the fashion sense of a befuddled alien visitor to Earth. So maybe that's it. Maybe this is just... The bracelets give you a random red and blue outfit. This red and blue outfit happens to look like Giant Man's outfit. Seems like a big coincidence. But even then, this doesn't work, because if you count up these heroes, like, not counting the ghost-slash-fighting-spirit of Captain America, or whatever the fuck that is, just cover that up. Don't look at Captain America. Other than him, there are six superheroes on this page, so we could assume that they're all the disguised West Coast Avengers wearing the bracelets, and each one of them has a different costume, right? That's not what's described in the text, but at this point, we're far beyond expecting this illustration to reflect anything actually happening in the adventure. We're just trying to make sense of it on its own terms. But... Per the illustrations in this book, we know what Scarlet Witch's costume is, right? We've seen that costume with the distinctive insignia on the chest in two different pictures. One where the person was tearing up a swastika and the other one where Scarlet Witch was putting on the bracelet and it was covering her with the holographic illusion of a male weirdo in ridiculous headgear, cleverly disguising the fact that she is actually a female weirdo in ridiculous headgear. Now, she could have swapped bracelets with somebody, but 12 bracelets is just enough for all six of these characters to have them on each arm. So all these bracelets should be represented in this picture, and nobody looks like that. It's not even like it's random each time, because we saw it represented twice in the illustrations previously. So if these are our disguised heroes, not only is it weird that one of them looks very much like Giant Man, except for a disappointing lack of giantness, but also we're missing the one established disguise that definitely comes from at least one pair of these bracelets. And, by the way, that guy who looks like Sleepwalker, in the hood, floating in the air, shooting a power blast out of his hands, that's not a thing any of the West Coast Avengers can do. Two of them can fly without a Skymobile, Wonder Man and Vision. Vision can shoot blasts out of his forehead or eyes, while Wonder Man has not even reached the blasting shit out of his body stage of his career. He's strictly a bruiser at this point. So none of the West Coast Avengers can do what's depicted in this picture. So who the fuck are these people? Are these even the Orfu bracelets? Or did the artist just like drawing gauntlets on everybody? 
what the fuck is the ghostly upper body of Captain America doing here? While the real Captain America is doing hard work elsewhere. Seems rude, ghostly upper body of Captain America. How are you going to ditch your boy like that to come hang out with these losers? Why is there a robot or cyborg with a swoopy helmet shooting an optic blast in a bikini top in the background? What the fuck is going on in this picture? I truly, I have no idea. Is that giant man? Uh, beats me. Anything is on the table. It's really hard to pick out a dumbest thing on this page because it's just such a fucking mess. Like, not only is everything probably wrong, but I'm not even confident in that because I am at such a loss to explain what's happening in this illustration. But I'm going to say the dumbest thing is special edition regular size giant man because I just don't understand anything else in this illustration enough to suggest a different choice. Like, it's weird that in the background there's this like swoopy head cyborg bikini wearing optic blast character that we've never seen before and never see again wearing uh bracelets i don't I, well like i'm at a loss to suggest an alternative i have no idea what you were going for however i think that having a character who looks almost exactly like giant man on this page is a bad idea and the alternative there would be don't draw giant man like it's not that hard he he, he has like these weird v-shaped antennae coming out of like his T-zone, like right between his eyebrows. That's a very distinctive look. You could simply have not drawn those. I mean, you could have gone back and erased them if you realized later, you know, if you woke up in the middle of the night as this artist and you're like, oh shit, I, that's Giant Man. I drew, why did I draw Giant Man? Just go back and just erase them. You know, do a quick redraw or don't. Just erase them and leave a blank space. Like who the fuck is going to notice? This art style is extremely sketchy. It's the easiest fix in the world. And it would have resolved the single most confusing signal that this illustration is sending. If these people are all just random weirdos doing something, I have no concept of what it is, then fair enough. Who am I to judge? But if Hank Pym is here, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Anyway, our heroes, be they Ford's Furies, the Secret Zoomers, the Misfits, the West Coast Avengers, or these five never before seen randos plus skip day giant man who's off his size meds today, whoever they are, they're winning the battle. That much is clear. Join me next time for the epilogue when I'm certain that all of our deferred metaphysical and epistemological questions about this time loop will be answered on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening.